Hello, it's your favorite podcast hosts, Madame and Hannah. And welcome back to our cozy little communication corner. On this episode, we'll be giving weekly updates, SLP hot takes, introducing a new segment, Did You Know? It's like our little SLP crash course on topics that we've researched and are interested in. And then we're going to wrap up with our SLP hit or miss of the week. So let's talk speech therapy. So Hannah, how have you been this week? Better than last week. Yay. Way better than last week. How – well, I mean, there's a little caveat. Um, I've been like feeling just so emotionally drained Mm. and let me tell you why. Mm -hmm. Um, So recently in the past like week or two, all my patients or like their family members have just been loading a lot of their like burdens and like things that they're going through. And if, like, I mean, of course, they're in the like their family mm-hmm. loved ones in the hospital, they're in the hospital mm-hmm. themselves or the skilled nursing facility. And it's been like, I have so much empathy mm-hmm. for a lot of like the people that I meet. It's been so like sad and just like overwhelming. And I was with a social worker today um, and she was in my like evaluation and the patient was just like continuously crying. He just had just a lot going on and overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. And when I walked out, I looked at the social worker and I was like, I don't know how you do this. Yeah. Like it's so like it's so emotionally draining because like you hear all these things, you know, and it's like makes you sad mm-hmm. and you're like, dang. How can like, I help? Like I can't. Yeah. Like yeah. exactly. Like all you have to do is listen and I'm realizing like like the whole week I wasn't even doing my job. I was like – well, I was doing my <laughs> job but in the sense of like I was like an educator. Mm-hmm. I was just someone – I was like practicing active listening. Mm-hmm. I was someone just having like therapy sessions, mm-hmm. not speech related but like emotional therapy mm-hmm. sessions like with all of my patients and their family members. Do you remember like our counseling class? I I mean I yes. knew it was important but I guess I just didn't realize like – how important if that makes how sense because like yeah, yeah, yeah obviously like we need to practice active listening and empathy I kind of felt like that was all right. like common sense you know like yeah mm, right like no that's already known exactly but honestly that course was so helpful because I think mm-hmm. it just dove into like specifically like patient care and patient you know like also yeah. when you were saying like how draining it is I was just thinking like that's why I didn't become a psychologist because like I can't imagine Dude, like yeah, somebody literally. like being the person that people like you know like I can't fix someone's brain I don't know I barely yeah. can keep mine together like the or just like talk about mm-hmm. all everything they're going through and I would just like take all of their burdens like put it on myself mm-hmm. um oh my gosh but it yeah. was just it's been like crazy um I have a story though that happened <laughs> yesterday mm-hmm. um I was I was I did a swallow study and Somebody had said something to me that made me just really upset. You know when someone says something and you just get really upset mm-hmm. and well, I mean, you know, they're mean. Mm-hmm. But anyways, um he had said something to me that just a situation that made me really mad and I was walking out um and I ended up like I was going to go straight to my office and complain mm-hmm. to one of my really good friends. Mm-hmm. Um but I saw these two ladies kind of standing next to each other. They were um they were both of my patients daughters but they were like like they were neighbors like they're both of their dads were in the ICU oh. um and they for That's some reason had connected such a weird like, like both dads I know they, yeah yeah both of their dads were in the ICU they just somehow like ended up talking um because they're both of their dads were both in like very similar situations and so I saw them and I was like oh 
why are they talking? Like, how do they know each other? And so I stopped and I was like, hey guys, like, are you guys okay? Um, and they were, I was like, do you guys know each other? Like, no, we just like met because our dads are very, um, they're going through the same Oh, so they things. met there, but they turned out to be neighbors? Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, neighbors as in, in the oh, hall, like in the room. I was like, that is so yeah, random. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I, I didn't know how to describe that. No, their dads are like next door to each other mm. in the ICU. So they're like neighbors, mm, you know? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, that makes more and sense. And so one of the ladies was just like crying um, and like rightly so. Her dad was like going through a lot, um, such a big change from what his baseline was. And I ended up just like talking with them for a short period of time. Um, and then one of the girls or the lady was like, um, I'll, I'm going to be praying for you. And I was like, you guys just want to pray right now? Mm -hmm. And we ended up just praying. And it was just a great wholesome moment. Like I had something like really heavy on my mm -hmm. heart. And I just like, I was like, I had a great wholesome moment with these two ladies. Um, I'm telling you, it's emotionally draining. Yeah, it is. It's very emotional. Mm -hmm. I'm, that's why but I like praying and meditation and just like those things are so like important because I think they, you know, they ground us and they just like mm -hmm. reset us and just like it's you know, it's nice to feel like, I mean, me and Hannah are both religious people. So like, I feel like it's nice to feel like, okay, I can put this in somebody else's hand or not somebody, but you know, like, yeah, I don't have to Someone bear it by up. myself. Right, right, but, right, right. Yeah. But, that's, yeah. That was, sounds like a sweet moment. Nice. It was really nice. It was very heartwarming, <laughs> oh, heartwarming. Um, and I just was happy to be there for their families. Mm -hmm. And I feel like half our majority or a good percentage of our job is like family support and counseling mm -hmm. even though like we have we have some experience like our our grad school had that course but some people don't have that experience mm -hmm. um but you just have to have a lot of empathy um and uh, it's just so hard but that's my first update mm -hmm. my second update is I have a wedding this weekend. And so I took a day off. I took a day off from work and I'm getting my nails done. How I'm fun. getting my eyebrows done. I know. I'm so excited. I haven't got my nails in like a year. Uh, and so mm -hmm. I'm so excited. I never do my yeah. nails. I'm actually a party pooper when it comes to like nail salons because I'm like, ooh, I don't want to poop on your party. Why? I don't. Uh, I feel like I'm like, I just ruin everyone's fun because like there's just so much bacteria and just like it's so nasty to me. I don't that's know. Reasonable. So I just did like, you find don't. you have to find a good place though. That's true. Like a good yeah. nail salon. Yeah, mostly like, a really like clean one. honestly, like it's not even manicures. Pedicures are what gross me out because like I've just heard so many like yeah. things about like the jets that are in the thing, like how they don't like people don't oh. actually clean them and yeah, like yeah. it just gets disgusting. And I'm just like, mm, that makes sense. Yeah. I feel like manicures you like are watching. I guess them. that's true. Yeah, you can see them. And they like sanitize everything. Like, mm -hmm. Yeah, I was gonna say they usually like sanitize and stuff. I don't. I used to love them, but I hate like also the feeling of like them buffing my nails and filing them. Mm. Like my entire body cringes. Um, it's just sensory overload for me. So, have you ever done your own nails? Um, like gel on your own? I'll like paint them, but I don't. I don't buff them or file them. I've only mm, filed anything. them a couple times, but even filing, you know, I like don't... the oh sorry, go ahead. Mm -hmm. Oh no, no, go ahead. I was gonna say, you know, like the little baby file nail files, like. Instead yeah, yeah, of yeah. clippers, like they're just files. Yeah. I used to cringe the whole time using it on my son. I'd be like, mm -hmm. I, it's just, ugh, I hate it. I hate it so much. <laughs> In case you That's can't so tell. Funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't do nail polish because I, it takes too long to dry. Mm -hmm. So I always do gel, but I do gel myself. Mm. I actually did my own nails for my wedding. Really? Wait, hold crazy. on. Send me a picture. Yeah. 
I was too lazy to it was just basic oh. like I grew, grew my nails mm-hmm. out and they were just basic, basic pink mm-hmm. but everyone was like did you like I was like yeah I just did it myself yeah. and they're like really you didn't get them done that's funny I was that's, like, yeah they're like it looks so nice that's the one time I got my nails well not the one time I used to when I was like younger like late teens like, late teens like 19 uh-huh. 20 I was really yeah. into it for a little but my wedding was probably the last time that I got my nails done and I got acrylics and like I the other thing mm, is like for fancy. us like we can't we can't pray if we have like nails on or nail polish on because like before mm. we pray we do like a wash up type of thing and so like if you have mm-hmm. nail polish or nails like it doesn't the water doesn't reach your nail bed and so or like the oh. nails and so like uh-huh. I real like usually girls like Muslim girls or practicing Muslim girls will like only wear nail polish like on their period because they don't have to worry about praying like physically praying mm-hmm. and so um mm-hmm. for me it's just like I'm gonna pay $58 to get my nails done and then I'm gonna take it off in four days so my sister-in-law mm. was wait, like, so, oh, go ahead, yeah. Wait, when you got married then, when did you have to pray? Like, I was on my period. How did that work? I got, like, it was so random. So this is probably wait, way TMI. So I got my, um, I get my period, I used to get my period very regularly. Um, uh-huh. And it never, like, changed from, like, when I was, like, 15. Like, I've always had the same date. It was always, like, the 7th or, like, no, it was always mm-hmm. the 1st or the 31st. Like, you know, like, the like the yeah, you know yeah, what I mean yeah. okay and yeah. then or the 30th or whatever it is but then when I got when I got married my wedding was on July 14th and my period mm-hmm. was two weeks late and so like mm. that ever since then like July 14th was like my period date this is so TMI mm-hmm, mm-hmm. was, <laughs> was so- wait wait so like so did you only get your nails done because you started your period or no, was it I would have for, done like it. you planned it because it Oh, no, no. I would have – no, I did it for my wedding. They were wedding nails. But, like, I would have done – like, so you can always, like, do wudu is what it's called. Like, you could do it before you put the nails on. But, like, if you use the bathroom, if you fart, like, if you have sex, like, those are all (laughs) things that break your wudu. So, like – because then you're not clean after. And so – so then I just, like – so I would have just put them on and then, like, took them off at the end of the night. And instead I took them off three days later. But – yeah. Uh, oh, I see. So you you would have taken them off, mm-hmm. like, but they're so hard to take off. I know, girl. I know. That's why I don't do my nails. Well, also, like, I feel like acrylics that's are crazy. so out of style right now. Like, I don't know. Like, I feel like that's like a lot of people are going for more like the Haley Bieber nails. You know. Uh, they're still. I'm oh, like the dip powder versus like acrylic. Yeah, and like just like yeah. a more I mean, natural. Depends. I don't know. We could probably cut out that whole but segment, honestly. Crazy. I feel like that was so much <laughs> to No, no. That, that was interesting. I didn't know. That's very educational. Mm. You teach me something every day about um, Muslim. So yeah. thank you so much. You're welcome, girl. Thank you. I got you. Um, okay. <laughs> well, what are your updates? What's going on with you? Okay. So I've had a really busy week since we last spoke. Um, and just like, it's not even like that I've been doing I mean, I've been working, but like nothing like crazy. I did the math and I'm mm-hmm. working like 23 hours a week. So it's nothing crazy at all. Literally, it's just exactly part time, which is what I wanted. But um, I just feel like something like part of the week is like overwhelming me and I'm not sure what it is yet. But today mm-hmm. I got to hang out with some friend, like a friend who the last time I saw her was in fourth grade. And then she had, um, she has two twins and the- or not two twins. She has one set of twins 
Um, and okay. <laughs> I was like, whoa, four kids? <laughs> no, she was oh, a once man. and a twins, a boy and a girl. And they're like 16 months. And so we set up like, I went to her house and like had lunch with her. And like, Omar was so, so cute, you guys. Like, first of all, he like loved the little girl. Like they were playing together. Mm-hmm. They were like really like, you know, he, my son's 10 months and they're 16. Mm-hmm. But 16 months but so he was playing with her but anytime the little boy came up to me and like started to hug me he would start hitting him like my son would start hitting the boy aggressive yeah and I was like oh my gosh are you jealous and I was like trying to be like oh my gosh nice nice like we like him he's nice he's like 10 months like he's he's not gonna you know but yeah, it was just really right. fun to watch him like socialize and realize that he probably needs to socialize Aww. more because um, he's definitely giving only child like <laughs> he definitely gives that vibe. Well, when is he going to have a sibling? <clears throat> Not anytime soon. Actually, <laughs> so I've actually been having talks with Asa about this because I'm like, okay. I'm on the fence. So this is this episode. We'll just call it like Maram is so TMI. I don't know. But no filter. <laughs> um, So we've been talking about this because I'm on the fence uh-huh. about whether like I want my like Ahmad and the next sibling to be back to back like you know that's what I was gonna ask like you yeah, young yeah. and like close mm-hmm, together like you know two under two or if I want right. to space them out and initially we were gonna space them out like three years but if we could like you know that's obviously so close though yeah but like so the thing is I feel like so when you are pregnant and you become a mom I feel like you I'm not mm-hmm. everybody, but for me, at least, like, you really lose a part of – not lo- – like, obviously, you gain an amazing baby, mm-hmm. but, like, a part of you is lost. Like, you're no longer Maram. You're Omar's mom. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, like – Right, right, right. I think I do a good job right now about, like, making sure my hobbies are – like, I keep up with my hobbies, things like that. But at the end mm-hmm. of the day, like, I'm still, like, you know. And so I feel like if mm-hmm. I wait too long – I'm going to finally be back to myself, feel good, like, you know, have my body back, have, like, um, just, like, you know, my life back, like, where I'm riding again, I'm snowboarding again, like, you know, and then, like, I'll get pregnant again, and then, like, I just have to go all the way back, and so, like, you have to restart, exactly, and so, like, a part of me is, like, just have baby number two but then another part of me is like okay no, that makes but sense. then omar's a toddler and i'm trying to explain to my little 20 month like, old like two yeah like two, oh no <gasps> we don't hit the baby like yeah see that's so overwhelming so and then my yeah, mom was like absolutely. "Ooh, like i love you but i don't think i'm willing to babysit two under babysit two. Two, two so kids. um right, 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 my right. mom is for like waiting it out a little but i don't know we're kind of like Elisa also was like, wait for waiting it out because if we have another kid, we need to move. Well, like, wait out for and three so, years? That's really not. It's not bad at all. Three years is not that no, long. No, that's a perfect amount of time because, like, yeah, if, that's not even waiting. No, like, five years plus is waiting. Yeah, I know. But, like, I was just like, do I want them back to back or do I want them, like, because the other thing that I told him was, like, if we did have them back to back, then like I would not want to have another like another kid for a long time, like until they're in first grade, mm. and then maybe have two more. But like I would not want to have, you know, like how many kids do you want? I'm good with any number. I just don't want to go above five. Really? Mm-hmm. I feel like wow. Okay, I'm good with any number. You, let me tell. <laughs> let me tell. You. So five is the max. So let me so tell you. Your answer is five. Guys. Here's here's what okay. I told him. I tell said me. if we have two kids and they're really close in okay. age, and then we like, and then we have a third kid, and let's say we have this third kid like five years later, then I want a fourth kid mm-hmm. right after to support. Yeah. So that they're like kind of paired to off. To support yeah. the other one. But if we yeah, have right. like let's say three back to back, like I'm good with stopping at three, and like if we have two back to back, and let's say like it's a boy and a girl, like I already have a boy, and let's say mm-hmm. get a girl, like I would be fine with just like taking a break and like seeing like does this feel like what my family yeah. like this do we feel like a good family so you're okay so, with three you're okay with having three kids mm-hmm. we're three kids me and my really? siblings aren't you 
Oh, I would be scared of like middle child syndrome. Oh, yeah. Syndrome, I mean, middle know? child syndrome definitely exists. I mean, you can ask yeah, my brother. That's, but, what I'd be, uh, that's what I'd be afraid of and scared for and I fearful, guess you know? As the oldest, I never really thought of that because, you know, I don't have you that don't. problem. You don't think about it because you're the oldest. Exactly. You don't have that issue. But your brother would beg to differ. He's like, like mm, let me tell you. He's like, <laughs> he's, let me tell you the stories. He's like, I'm going to start my own podcast and call it middle child syndrome. <laughs> Um, Dude, there probably is ready one like that. That'd be crazy. It's just so it's crazy. Podcast name. I know. And just like talk about every single time your family forgot you for like mm-hmm. <laughs> my poor brother. Literally. It's okay. It, cre- it creates character, builds character. Um, the other thing is, do you remember that like I um, reached out to a speech therapist I used to work with who also worked in the NICU, who happened to work in the NICU? And I was like, yes. hey, like, do you happen to – because she had offered, like, for me to train me or mm-hmm. whatever. So I messaged her. And then, yeah. like, I didn't hear back. And I was like, honestly, she probably has no idea who I am. But then she responded, like, a couple days ago. And she sent me a job posting. But it's two hours – no. It's – yeah, it's two hours away from me. And I'm so Ew. sad. I was like no, – And I know, sad. like, people say you need to make sacrifices. Like, NICU jobs are hard to come by. And, like, you know, you just – like sometimes you just need to suck it up and like make sacrifices so that you can get the training and whatever. But I just that's a two hour drive. And like I sent you a full time, but what if you applied and you said, Hey, I know this is a full time, but would you consider a PRN? Well, if you have their HR number, or I could part-time. email them. But I feel like wouldn't that give them the I ache? don't. I don't. Not really. I would have I've applied to PRNs before. It's like, hey, I just wanted to know. I know this is a PRN position, but any opportunity for a full time in the future. I've done that. So too. I mean, I've even done the backwards. other way, like where I applied. Like, remember, my CFY was a full time position, and yeah. I told them, like, oh, I can only you, do part. Yeah, but see? that was just a different so situation. I don't know. Maybe I will. You should just apply. You, I would have to drop you something. Places That's like you thing. said, and then drop something. I it's love your dream. Like you I literally, do. exactly. But what do you love more? You love. You want experience in NICU, and like you said, it's hard to come by, mm-hmm. and it's a very rare opportunity. That post. <laughs> that post has been up for like 21 days that's true and i've been eyeing it and i was like i should send it to you and when you texted me i sent it to you mm-hmm. i was like you should actually really apply i should have sent it to her a while back maybe i will you should just apply and see what happens yeah oh. it's your dream isn't it like that's it's what you want to do dream, like yes. that's <laughs> i do i, really... I feel like that's like your biggest from what i can tell mm-hmm. you really like pediatric eating you yeah. always wanted nicu experience mm-hmm. and they don't come around very mm-hmm. often so Maybe I should. Great opportunity. I actually got a hoodie from um uh what's oh speaking of semantics, have you seen her stuff? Oh yeah. yeah. I love her mm-hmm, stuff. Mm-hmm. She's so cool. But I got a she hoodie really, from her and it really, said really like cool. she had two. She had one that said med SLP, med speech language pathologist, and then the other one mm-hmm. said pediatric med speech pathologist. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna get the pediatric med speech pathologist because I am manifesting this so bad. And so when I got it, I kind of got a little right. sad. Was, it was gorgeous, but I got a little sad. I was like, oh, I wish I really was a pediatric med SLP. And I used to was you like, what do you mean? Be. And I was like, I'm a med SLP and I'm a pediatric SLP, but yeah, I'm not. Yeah, both. it's like separate, yeah. not both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe I will. You can't. You just inspired me i'll talk it over with asa because i feel like he's really good at like keeping me um like logical like he's gonna tell me yeah and he's like gonna tell me like okay but you're probably gonna need to drop something because you're already overwhelmed you do absolutely i I literally okay so i do early intervention for the same person i worked for before i got pregnant and i love Mm -hmm. her and like i i literally only see three kids for her like i told her like i can only see two or three um, and then also I work at the hospital PRN, which I mean, I could always lessen the days that I'm there. Cause right now I'm there like almost twice a week, if not. Yeah. I'm there about twice a week right now. Um, mm. 
but I like it. Like that's the thing. Like I want to be there twice a week. Obviously, that's why I'm signing up for. I would. I would tell you. I would never tell you to stop doing the hospital. Yeah. Stuff. You know? <laughs> and then I'm like at the. You private, know, I love that. Yeah. Place, and then though. I'm at the private practice like once a week from like a full day on. I'm there on Fridays. I probably would say drop that private one. practice. But this, here's the thing. I also love. I love. This is gonna sound you bad. Love I love it all. the team. Absolutely. The team is so good, and the owners are so amazing. They've been mm-hmm. so like accommodating for me, and like I can't explain to you right. like how my how many accommodations I've needed as a new mom, and they're just so helpful. Yeah, and so I'm like, yeah. I don't know. Okay, but honestly, yeah, yeah. I feel like eventually I am gonna have to drop something, especially if I'm gonna keep picking up clients for myself, and which yes, is going right? my next into my next update, which is going so well because. I finally got in with Alta Regional and That's was able awesome. to get a hold of someone. And now I have a meeting on next Monday and I'll start getting clients, wow. hopefully, inshallah. So uh, we'll see. Okay. That was a lot of updates. Okie dokie. Um, oh, wait. I have one more. Oh, yeah, I ahead. have one more. I forgot. I was writing it down. Oh, sorry. So, okay. So, no, no, no. I was writing it down because I totally oh, forgot. Okay. I've been meaning to tell you this for weeks. Um, remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about the rolling backpacks. Yes. Remember that? Okay. So we said in a couple episodes, it was the SLP miss because the rolling backpacks are so ugly, but everyone thought they needed it, right? So um, I have a friend who just got into our the same program we went to, and I said, oh my gosh, do they have the rolling backpacks? And she was like, what? No. And I was like, wait, so what do you guys use to carry around? And she's like, everybody has a crate. And I was like, a is rolling that the crate? new rolling backpack? Or they carry it. Yeah. Like, no, no, the rolling crate. Oh. That's a new version of the rolling backpack. Interesting. Um, and I was like, interesting. So the, I was just like, yeah, nobody has rolling backpacks. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, good thing. They were ugly. I'm happy they're gone. I think it was just our generation of SLPs. No, no. It was um, definitely the now- generation. Oh, I meant like not generation, oh, but like, like the semester before us. Like the years the before, before us yeah, yeah. were definitely yeah, into right, it right, too. Right. I think they were more heavy. And I think we were yeah. like being like, hmm, we had a mind of our own. We're like, I don't think this is for us. I mean, I I was oh. a follower. I absolutely had one. You were a follower. And I've thought about using it recently that. because when I go really? to the, so in the private practice, I share my office with somebody else. But even before I was sharing mm-hmm. with someone else, like I just don't leave my stuff there because I see kids at other places. Right, and so like yeah, yeah. I just have like this bin of things that I'm always carrying with me and it has the same stuff in it all the time. Um, mm. And I just was like, ooh, I should just. Should I just should I just use it? Should I just but I can't get myself to because I freaking hate it. Mine is so ugly. Mine is literally try so ugly. No, I'm not gonna try crate. I've seen those. Try They're huge, which is probably what I need, but mm-mm. I'll just stick See? with my little toe. Apparently that's the new that's the new thing that I just wanted to update you um on that. Good to know. On that little thing, yeah. Okay, don't it's a new it's a new thing, but yeah, that's all my updates. So let's go into our next segment, this new segment called, Did You Know? An SLP Crash Course. Um, what are you going to educate me on today, Maram? Okay. There was Teach me something. so much that I wanted to pick from. I thought about like doing food chaining. I thought about doing all these different things. And I was like, Hannah doesn't know, probably doesn't know what food chaining is. But- I don't know anything. <laughs> Teach me. But I'm not going to go Teach into me. food chaining. I'm actually, <laughs> okay. sorry, I don't know why I started like that. <laughs> but you got me a little snippet and excited. <laughs> well, I thought you might enjoy it because it has to do with feeding. But then I was like, honestly, I'd rather save that for another time. But what we're talking about today is, why are you teasing me? <laughs> 
So, so that I can, next time when we do this segment, I don't spend like 20 years thinking of what to talk about. You'll be like, okay, remember okay. food chaining? And I'll be like, oh, you're right. You're right. Okay. It's recorded. So now we know. So my, what I'm teaching you today is approaches to teach children multiple languages. This is for like bilingual households. So growing up, like my mom, so we lived in the Middle East and a lot of times like when people, we went back and forth a lot. So when we were there, they'd be like, oh my gosh, only speak to her in one language. And when she was here, they'd be like, oh my gosh, mm. only speak to her in one mm. language. And so right. actually funny story, when we were in Jordan, they were like, yeah, you don't want her to get your accent. So do not speak to her in your like, like in Arabic, only speak to her in English. Really? Yeah, because she like had a little, little American accent um, when she spoke. But so that's just a little anecdote. But so this is something I'm really passionate about because when I was working mm-hmm. with refugees, like parents would be like, they don't want us to speak to our kids in Arabic, but I don't speak English. I don't know. I barely know. Like, I can't even read yeah, Arabic. Right, I can right, barely right. read English. And I'd be like, what? No, speak to your kids in Arabic. Like, keep it like yeah. they're going to forget it. Like, they're going to get English in school. They're going to get English in with their peers. Like, they're going to lose right. Arabic. And so... These are just approaches to, for anybody who's working with multilingual families, you can educate your families on this. So the first approach is called, what, do you know any of these? Like, have you heard of this? Okay. Okay. I was like, this might be too basic and everybody just knows it. Probably. I don't know but, the approaches. I know it's important. Yeah. And I know a lot of pediatricians and specifically um, tell parents to not teach them both languages. <laughs> and when I heard that, I was like, don't listen to that advice. It's not great advice. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially in the Filipino culture, um, they want – when you come to America, you – a lot of the parents stop teaching their or stop speaking to their kids in Tagalog and they'll start knowing English. Like for example, me, I understand Tagalog fluently, but I cannot say Hmm. a word. It will Mm -hmm. take me like a decade to tell you one word. Um, And it's because like um, Filipinos want their kids to be assimilated to American Mm -hmm. and American culture. Yeah. And it was, it was similar. My parents like moved across the world (laughs) to um, get us to learn Arabic. So we like, that was one of their main reasons for moving us to Jordan was they really wanted us to like learn Arabic and our culture and just like Mm. our religion. Um, and you know, that was a sacrifice that they made, but it was funny. So when we went there, I didn't speak any English. So I used to get made fun mm-hmm. of for my Arabic. And then when mm. we came back, I didn't speak any English because I came back in really? third grade, second, like midway mm-hmm. through second and third. And I didn't speak any English. And so I used to get made fun of mm-hmm. my English. And then we left again and I started getting made fun of again for my Arabic. So I actually like am wow. facing this like mental block where like I don't have an mm-hmm. accent in Arabic. I speak Arabic fluently. Um, I've done therapy yeah. sessions in Arabic, but for some reason, when I try to speak it to my son so that he can have a bilingual background, I just have this mental block. Yeah. Like it is so hard for me to speak it to him because of all like the bullying mm. that was surrounding it. So that's why this wow. is like just so such like a passionate topic for me. Okay, so right, okay. approach number so, one teach me. is one okay. parent, one language. So in the OPAL approach, each parent speaks a different language with their child, and this allows the child to hear and learn two languages simultaneously. So for example, Asa would speak English to Omar, and I would speak Arabic to him. And so it's just one language per parent. Next is called the language balance approach. And so in this approach, the family ensures that both languages are given equal time and importance. So the importance. So this means that both languages are spoken, read, and written equally. So they like split it exactly down the middle. 
Next one is the time and place approach. So this approach involves using one language at a specific time and place or using another and using another language at another time and place. So for example, the family may speak one language at home and a different language at school or in public places. So this is the one that I mm. use. I use this mixed with the one par- parent one language because Asa doesn't speak Arabic. Um, so I'm the only parent that... He doesn't, he, really? No, he, I mean, he... he understands and he does he understands yeah, it he understands it and like he mm. could speak but like he isn't fluent i wouldn't say in arabic mm. but he definitely like, like me yeah but like he understands gotcha. and he could um i think if he just like had more confidence in his arabic he would like be able to speak but he doesn't like, like... you could probably speak to him and he understands oh, yeah. the whole thing mm-hmm. but responds in english huh? yeah exactly Ugh, same yeah. i feel that like i have a block in my brain for exactly. some reason and it's so hard to overcome Ugh, crazy um it's so hard and today like when I, I told you i was hanging out with a friend and she only speaks to her mm-hmm. kids in arabic and honestly she just like inspired me to speak arabic to to jordan i don't know where that was coming from but to speak arabic <laughs> to my son omar um and so i i do the time and place i only speak to him arabic at home um because Mm. that is where I'm comfortable speaking it to him where no one can really overhear me even though like I said I don't have an accent I speak it fluently like I if you heard me speaking Mm. ahead of you like you would be like oh this this girl didn't live here her whole life but anyways so we do like the one parent approach me and then Mm -hmm, also like mm -hmm. the time and place which is at home um and hopefully I'll get past like that mental block um and be able to like you know actually just use it the next the last approach Mm. is the target language use so this approach involves Mm. using the target language for specific activities or purposes so for example if the target language is spanish the family may use spanish during family meals or while watching spanish tv spanish language tv shows um or movies and so this is like you know i think that's also a really good approach because sometimes like certain activities are either are easier to speak Arabic or whatever your language is Mm. than others like Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. translating for you know documents or whatever like that's way harder than like just talking during a meal time but yeah those are the four approaches Mm. that I know of intriguing I didn't that's very intriguing I feel like my parents did like the first one Mm -hmm. but I feel like they didn't split it equally that's why I don't know I can't speak Tagalog Mm -hmm. because like my mom would still sometimes like speak in English too. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. But very intriguing. I wish yeah. I could go over this block. That's so hard. I know. It's so hard. And honestly, I think the only way to do it is like to force it. And so yeah, I have to force it, right? Yeah. Right. So like with my son, I started like um saying like core words in Arabic because mm-hmm. you know that's mm-hmm. easier. And then actually recently I recorded like a little Miss Rachel style video, but in Arabic. And that really helped That's me because, so like, cool. when I heard my voice back, I was like, look at me. Like, I literally can speak this language. Um, yeah, and, yeah. like, I can read it and write it. So, like, what is my issue? It's just, like, a mental block. So, I've been really, like, trying to push that boundary and just, like, because I do want him to speak Arabic. Like, I really want him to mm-hmm. speak and understand and, like, be fluent in it because, yeah. like, it's important to us. It's our culture. It's our language. And yeah. so, I just really want it. I just need to want it enough to, like, be consistent. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I feel that. And I feel so disassociated mm-hmm. from um, the Filipino culture because I don't speak mm-hmm. fluently. Um, 
But like whenever I hear like the other day it was nice you and these two nurses were speaking Tagalog and I was like, I was listening. I knew exactly what they're saying. And I was telling her, I was telling one of the nurses later, I was like, oh, I knew what you were saying and I wanted to jump in. Um, but I, I don't speak. I, I understand, but I can't speak. So if it was like weird if I like said, oh, yeah, me too. Or mm-hmm. you know what I mean? What'd you um, say? And so she was like, you understand? She's like, you should have just came and spoke English. Mm. I was like, I know, yeah. but it's just like you were both speaking Tagalog and I like – uh, I just I, since I don't live at home, mm-hmm. I don't have that any. Like, I don't like hear that as much. Yeah, and so I miss it. Mm-hmm. I miss. It. I was like, that's I was so like, true. Mom, mm-hmm. You're nearby. Yeah. So literally, <laughs> yeah. I like. I feel like since since I moved as well, like moved out, like mm-hmm. no, like I don't like my family. My husband's family does speak Arabic, but like they also speak English, and so usually like we're talking in English, right? right. right? Yeah, and yeah. so like. I just feel like I like whenever I'm around like other Arab, like other Arabs, like I'm just like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, I feel like nostalgic and just like feel a sense of home like and home. belonging. Yeah, yeah. yeah, right. And I'm just right, like, right, oh right, my same. gosh, like in when we were in college, like a lot of my friends were Arab. And so like I used mm. to speak it more and like, you know, be more active with it. But my sister-in-law takes Arabic classes um, online. She found a teacher mm. and like she's learned so much. And so like that's always something you can look into is just like, you know, classes. I should. I want to do that in Spanish. I want I Spanish to so I can be badly. trilingual. You know that I most could be trilingual countries, in reality. Most countries reality. are like bilingual and trilingual. Like um, That's crazy. when I was in Jordan in school, we had to learn Arabic, English, and French. Um, but you mm-hmm. didn't usually take French until you were in high school. But you started off with like Arabic and English from a very like from preschool. But anyways, what are you very educating cool. me on today? Uh, okay, mine's kind of long. Go ahead. Um, I forgot this in our intro, but I wanted to also mention we are lifetime learners, guys. So we're going to continue growing and learning. Mm -hmm. But mine is COPD and dysphagia. Do you have a lot of experience with COPD? I did in my CFY. I feel like a lot of my patients had COPD. Had COPD. Do I remember most of it? I don't know. (laughs) Okay, well, let's find out. So general facts for anybody listening who doesn't know COPD, I feel like for some of our listeners, um, they may or may not, or they may be a little bit into speech pathology, but some have no idea what it is. And I felt like we were using a lot of big terms um, that they were like, wait, what's aspiration? Mm -hmm. And I was like, I need to break it down a little bit for you guys. Because I actually are, so we can see like the analytics of our listeners and like some of them are not speech they have nothing to do with speech therapy and we love you, you guys yeah, and we right. appreciate your time yeah. but like because that's just genuine support like <laughs> i don't know if i would right. listen to us if i wasn't a speech therapist right. shout out to you jacob yeah. the accountant yes, jacob. Uh, appreciate you he was just like he's talking about aspiration the other day and he was like yeah i do aspirate and i was like wait do you know what that means he was like not really <laughs> he's like i have like, a general maybe idea i should describe that yeah. <laughs> right, right right um oh i remember now he was like oh why do SLPs work in schools? Do kids aspirate? And I was like, wait, <laughs> like, did you know like a lot of actually SLPs are in schools? Yeah, most and SLPs. Like, yeah, most SLPs are in schools. And he was like, oh, I didn't know that. What do you guys do besides aspiration and dysphagia? And I was like, I was like, there's a lot actually communication. But anyways, that's off topic. Okay, so COPD. Mm. Um, it stands for chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. Um, the, it's the most commonly caused by cigarette smoking, but also um, occupational exposure or even being around secondhand smoke. Um, I've had a lot of patients who end up having like COPD, never smoked a day in their life, and they I I will 
follow up with, well, were you around secondhand smoke most of your life? And they're like, yeah, my husband smoked for 40 years. He was a three pack a day. Mm. And I'm like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. And I feel so bad for those patients because they decided not to, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And they ended up getting COPD and lung disease. Yeah. Um, So- What is it? So according to the National Institute of Health, COPD is a progressive disease, which means it gets worse over time. It's a disease that damages the lungs and prevents less airflow, making it harder to breathe. So a lot of the times, um, one of my like questions for my patients, even though they don't have a history of COPD, like it's not in their medical chart, I will always ask as an interview question, like, do you have a history of smoking? Um, And so, and they'll be like, yeah, I do. That's probably why I have difficulty breathing. And I'm like, that makes a lot of sense. The dots are connecting. Um, Yeah, right? Um, It's the fourth leading cause of death in the United States, and it affects 15.7 million Americans. That's about 6.4% of the populations. Um, That means, and this number is even actually would be higher because a lot of people aren't even aware they have COPD or they haven't actually been tested properly by a pulmonologist. Um, So how does this affect you guys and the patient or um, speech therapists who are in the medical field? Um, Basically, it affects our patients. It's a disease. It affects their nutrition, their strength, their mobility and balance. People with COPD are risk of um, sarcopenia, which is basically a progressive general loss of muscle function. And so not only in like your upper extremities, lower extremities, that includes the muscles of your throat. Um, this can result in falls, fractures, a functional decline, frailty, and the most important thing that we look at is dysphagia because of the muscle weakness. Um, so the prevalence in COPD patients with dysphagia, can you guess how many patients have dysphagia with COPD? Give me a number, Moral. I actually used what to know the, the right number. I don't remember at all. <gasps> really? I don't remember. Oh my gosh, this 30, could have been an SLP oh, quiz thing. That the could trivia. have been, We haven't yes, done that, that in a long time. Dig. Okay, go ahead. We haven't. What is it's it? It's 33 or 32.7%. So oh. a third of our patients with COPD will have dysphagia. So- why is this wrong? Do you know why? Let me tell you why. Okay. Okay. Let me tell you why. Is it the muscle weakness um, that you talked about? Close. Close. Yeah. Okay. So um, decreased laryngeal sensitivity. Oh. Okay. So in my experience, a actually. lot of patients... No, a lot of a lot of times my patients will have a higher rate of aspiration with no cough response, also known as silent aspiration with COPD. Um, sometimes I'll do the Yale protocol and I'll notice like a delayed cough afterwards or sometimes an immediate cough, um, which is a use tip or the Yale protocol is good sensitivity for, you know, silent aspiration. And so I utilize that often with my COPD patients. Um, Another reason why is they have decreased ability to swallow and breathe. That coordination has been diminished. Um, They have a lower laryngeal resting posture. So basically their larynx sits a lot lower in their throat. That means that their swallow takes a longer time to like their, their larynx takes a longer time to close. So it increases their chance of, you know, food or liquid going into the airway. And of course, sarcopenia, like I talked about muscle weakness and then overall fatigue, Mm -hmm. like. Patients with COPD get so tired mm-hmm. really, really fast. Um, they get tired with like any type of movement. Um, and so risk, fa- risk factors for dysphagia and COPD. Um, 
difficulty or labored breathing is one of them. A lot of patients with COPD have reflux or gastroesophageal reflux disease, which also can cause oropharyngeal dysphagia. Um, estomia, so dry mouth. I mean, have you ever taken a pill and had a dry mouth? It's horrible. <laughs> it gets stuck. I can't take horrible. pills with a mouth full of water, so. <laughs> oh, really? What do you do? What do you do? Oh, do. Just That's take what a I have whole... to do. Like, so I'll like fill my oh, mouth with, with water. water and then like mm-hmm. kind of like drop it in the back of my throat and just throw my head back. And then throw it back. Yeah. yeah, throw head back. Yeah. 10 out of 10. Yeah. Don't so, recommend. I mean, <laughs> if you have a dry mouth, imagine taking like your just pills like dry. Mm-hmm. Um, they're a big risk for dysphagia there. And then um, sputum bacteria, um, meaning like they're back, they're like saliva has a lot of bacteria in it, probably because poor oral hygiene and then poor physical and uh, poor physical capability and poor quality of life are some risk factors. Um, basically, so what do you do with all this information, guys? Um, oh, one last thing. Another problem is dysphagia and aspiration can be directly contributed to factors of acute exacerbations of COPD. So check their past medical history to see if they have had multiple episodes of COPD exacerbations and admissions to the hospital because um, they, their dysphagia events or aspiration events could be causing their reoccurrence of coming back to the hospital. So what do you do? Oh, any questions, class? Any questions? Nope. <laughs> okay. Good so far. You have um, me still. What do you do with all this information? So when you get a patient and you see a COPD or you ask, always ask, do you have history of smoking or around secondhand smoke? You'll start with, of course, a bedside swallow. Um, some risk factors you should be, or respiratory factors you should be looking at is the respiratory rate, seeing if during your bedside swallow is the respiratory rate um, greater than 25, you want something that's less than 25 breaths per minute. You want to check their oxygen saturations. Um, they want to be anything less than 94 would be a little concerning. But however, ask them what their baseline is because some COPD patients are within the 90 or 89 to 90 range. So mm-hmm. ask them, you know, are they on oxygen at home? Um, know what their baseline is and the respiratory pattern. Pattern: Are they like breathing heavily? Are they using like diaphragmatic breathing? Like what, what are their, what does their breathing look like to you? Um, and then you can also use a swallow screen. I typically, for my outpatient MBSs, I always do the EAT-10. Highly recommend it. It's a great um, screener. Um, and it's a great, um, what is it called again? Like their personal patient outcomes, or it's like their, it's just a questionnaire. Mm-hmm. I use the EAT-10 and the RSI. It's a reflux severity index. Great screeners. I highly recommend it. And then I do the Yale, the Yale Swallow Protocol, of course. And then have you Oh, yes. Go ahead, student. Um, I was just going to say that in two of the places I've worked at or been at for medical setting, they use the MASA. Do you have any? Oh, Do I remember what the MASA stands for? No, I don't. Um, what is it? Is um, it like a screener? Yeah, or? so it's a screener. But I mean, I liked it, but I was just wondering if you had any like... I feel like you always know. Yeah. Let me, let me look it up so I can know the actual name because I don't... I haven't used it since... <laughs> I haven't used that one where I only know the, the man ETM, the assessment swallow abil- of swallowing ability. What kind of questions do they have on it? Um, should research it. Let me pull it up. Or like, we don't have to wait for me to pull it up. Like you can continue. No, no. Pull it, I'll just skip okay. it. <laughs> um, it's loading the document. I probably have it printed somewhere because my first internship used it and then my um, second internship used it. And then... When would they give it to the patient? It was part of their bedside eval. Oh, part of the... Nice. 
Oh, this is I like love the... questionnaires. Yeah. Honestly, I felt like it was a really good one. Um, mm-hmm. The thing that loaded is like the manual for it. I'm trying to see if they have like the actual. The actual thing. Yeah. I like the E10 and the RSI because I feel like whenever I give it, especially for my outpatients, um, it really correlates to what their the actual study will show. Mm-hmm. For example, if they have a low E10, but a hard, like a really hard, they have a really high S, um, RSI, reflux mm-hmm. severity index, I can most likely when I do the esophageal visualization, mm-hmm. I can like I can see, oh yeah, because you have a stricter that's causing this, or you have a zancrosite reticulum, you have a cricopharyngeal bar. Like I'm like, oh, that's probably why that's causing um your mm-hmm. dysphagia symptoms. Well, so I found it, and now that I'm looking at it, okay. So it's like, can I share my screen with you? Well, that- I don't think it's gonna work. You won't be able to see it. Do you want to text a picture of it? Oh yeah, that to means me. Also, I'll text it to you. Um, hold on, sorry. Oh yeah, just or just texting me the link. Oh, duh. that works too. Okay. Technology, guys. I'm so sorry. I'm literally like my brain is turned off. Choo choo choo. And then if you could text me, if you happen, to, let me know if this link works. If you happen to have a link of the test that you said, but so, oh yeah, the et e ten ten. Um, I so can't talk first today. this like talks about alertness, cooperation. Wait, did you send it to me? Yeah, auditory comprehension. Rep- oh, so I guess like yeah, oh, it goes over a few different things. Respiration. Oh, it's coming back to me. Oh, I see. You it's know, this? like a sc- it's. Oh, like it's more of a like a checklist to do during your eval. Is that what it is? Yes, but also like it has the rating on the GC like after do it. so like alertness two five eight. Sent me a ten. Wait, what is the acronym? MASA. It's the Man Assessment of Swallowing M-A- Ability. It's the second one. M A S S A. No, M A S A. M A S A. So just look up the scoring sheet, but. Like massa scoring sheet. Scoring sheet. I think it's different. So, because so it is like a scale though, because it is like um, when you see it, you'll know. Um, and then I think like within normal limits is under. Oh, I don't remember. I really need to brush up on this, but the hospital mat doesn't use this. I just remembered like previously when we've used it. I remember liking it. Hmm. But I should do research into it. I've never heard I've never heard of this one before. I've never heard of them. I think I maybe I vaguely remember it. No, probably not. Um but the E10 and I think the RSI are different. They're patient reported um questions. Oh so like, okay, I see what you mean. Like Yeah, so it's a little different. Yeah. Um that this I feel like this is more for clinicians to yeah, use. Yeah, this like is for when clinicians. they're doing their eval. Yeah. Okay. I Got misunderstood. It. Yeah, so like you. Yeah. The e- no, it's okay. The E10 and the RSI are like asking like, okay, on a scale of one to five, or I think it's mm-hmm. one to four, um, like they give you a statement like swallowing is painful, mm-hmm. like one being minimal, four being like the worst, oh, and then I you'll see. rate okay. it. And then you get a score. It's out of – so anything for the E10, I think it's like anything over 15 is abnormal. That means they probably have some oral pharyngeal dysphagia. And then RSI, anything over 13 is they most likely will have reflux. And the accuracy, like I swear, it's crazy. Like they'll, I'll get my scores back and it'll be like, oh yeah, that correlates. Mm-hmm. And so I'll add it to a lot of my, um, my outpatient like 
the objective measures and say like, oh yeah, this correlates to what they were describing and what their the scores are. But um, yeah, utilize that, guys. Long story Sounds short, really um, it's yeah, it's really it's a really I actually. I listened to it on Swallow Your Pride podcast. A speech therapist recommended it for outpatients. And I was like, this is amazing. So I talked to the radiology department and now they give it out every time we get an outpatient. That's cool. Um, The last two things I do want to mention is I use the peak flow meter. It's a great way to measure cough and the strength of your cough, strength of a patient's cough. What is that? So anything... So it's basically like patients use it if they have asthma. Um, and so they'll cough in it to see how strong or they'll actually they'll take a deep breath and they'll breathe out to see if their breath control. I don't know something. I forgot what, what how it's used for asthma, but it's basically to rate if they need to use their inhaler or not. Mm. Um, and so the different ranges. But for I use it for measuring cough response. And so I have patients volitionally or like they actively participate in a cough they make themselves cough um and anything it's basically a tool and then it has like these numbers and it has a a dial and so they'll cough as strong as you tell them hey cough as strong as you can and then if there's their dial reaches anything less than 200 um their cough is likely ineffective in clearing their airway so if they are aspirating Mm -hmm. um their cough most likely will not be strong enough Mm. and a majority of patients with copd do not have a strong cough i mean it's restrictive lung disease right or Mm -hmm. it's restrictive um pulmonary disease and then a lot of the patients in the ICU and the hospital are just weak in general. Mm-hmm. So the majority of the times they don't um, call, they don't have a strong cough. I mean, a lot of my assessments, I do, um, I have them volitionally cough and I'll listen to their cough. I'm like, oh, that perceptually is strong. Mm-hmm. And then I'll do a peak flow meter and it's like, they're at like 50. And I'm like, oh, that's really low. Mm-hmm. Your cough is not strong no. at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and so great. It's a great tool. You should find it in your hospital. I use it all oh, the time as an objective measure. It? They should. I think what yeah, it it's respiratory, again? a peak flow meter. Okay. Or it's peak expiratory flow rate. Um, if you look it up, you'll find it. Kelsey Day is a big advocate for it. Love her. Um, if you ever, if you guys, okay, notification guys, um, if you're a CF or even like a new, a new after like you finish your CF, she's actually hiring. Oh, or is like she? her hospital is hiring. Yeah, her hospital is hiring and she's willing to take on a CF. So, Jump on that, guys. It's by the time this episode comes out, it's probably already taken. True. But I mean, we could I repost mean, it on our, if she put it on her story. We can try to repost it. Maybe it is. That's true. It is on her story. But um, to apply. learn under Kelsey Day, amazing in LA. Yeah, girl. <laughs> I can't. We just do talked about I know. seizing opportunities. Just move. Let's right? go, Omar. Yeah, let's move. You're Omar, not mine. I know. Leave. Leave. Um, our city to go to LA. No, it's way too much. Um, and my last thing to end this segment is to. Do the instrumental, guys. Do the instrumental. You never know what you'll see under fluoro. Mm-hmm. It's crazy the amount of times I've seen somebody at bedside and made a hypothesis, and I was very wrong, very like extremely yeah. wrong. I was so off. Mm-hmm. So do the instrumental. Your mind will be blown once you see it under fluoro. I believe it. And that's it. And that is my – did you know? Did you learn something, friend? I did. I learned a lot. I wish I was taking notes. I'll have to re-listen. Um, and you also jogged my memory back. Like when you were talking about the facts, I was like, wait, I know this stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But oh, I really liked the like um, the screeners that you were talking about because I like that it's asking the patient like what their perception mm-hmm. is of it. Um, yeah. Because I think that's also part of like 
it like it teach I feel like it also helps you know like how to approach education. Like if they think they're totally should, fine. Yeah, yeah. And then like you're like you're well, like you this know, is your yeah, like yeah, this yeah. is your results. I should share this Google Doc and our show notes. Yeah. Because like it's like a whole it has all the information on there if you guys want to review it. Mm-hmm. I just recently took a CEU course and I took a lot of the information. Oh, what was the, put into what a was Google it? Drive. We can link that too, because I've been looking for hmm. CEUs. It's on Med it's on MedBridge oh, though. So I, I get it free with my company. Mm-hmm. But um if you guys have MedBridge, it's like C O P D something. I don't know what it's called. But I can still link it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, that is my. Thank you for teaching us. I really appreciate Thank that. Thank you for teaching me. Yeah, I learned so much. Can't wait to hear about the feeding one next time. Next we do this time. So now we are going into our next segment, SLP Hot Takes, where we share some hot takes that we have, um, and just like talk about you know some maybe controversial topics so Mm -hmm. stay tuned and let us know what your hot takes are via dms or email okay hannah what is your first hot take Mm, okay okay so i want to first say okay if you go back to our first episode i don't think i really knew what a hot take was and now you know i'm understanding what a hot take is um wait what was your hot take the first episode um, being culturally competent and not judging our patients based off their okay, okay, I remember. diagnosis. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't really a hot take. I feel like that's a general rule, honestly. <laughs> I think I was just really passionate about that in those moments, and I just noticed a trend. So like, I just felt passionate about it, and I wanted to educate you guys. But yeah. here's a real hot take, okay? Here's an actual hot take. Okay. I've been meaning to talk about this for so long, but thickening at bedside, Mm -hmm. okay? I can talk about this for days and decades and a million years, and MedSLP has a great, like, PowerPoint that lists all the information about why we should reconsider thickening liquids at bedside. Is that something we can link in the show notes or no? Absolutely. Yeah, I can definitely find that link. (laughs) Um, I have it linked, like, in so many different places. But I actually created for my student page, I created a bunch of research articles talking about it. And I can Which you were supposed to send to me. I should send that to you. Yes, I should send that to you. But there's a bunch of research on there. Why talking about how thickening can be more harmful than an actual great tool that it should be used for. And I'm not against thickener at all. Like I love, I think it has a time and the place, but I think speech therapists forget what the time and the place is. Um, I think we're so used to kind of paying attention to cough versus no cough, wet vocal quality versus no wet vocal quality, when that really is just a possible clinical indicator of oral pharyngeal dysphagia, I mean, we're missing, we're not really treating our patients, we're giving them a Band-Aid for what the real problem is, which is treating their dysphagia. Um, And I feel like there's just so much I can talk about. I don't even know. Ask me a question about it, Rob. I have no idea like okay. how to even go about um, it because there's so many things. Let me think. Like, what have you thought about this? Um, like, what have you heard and how could I try to answer your questions for you? <laughs> okay. So I've heard, I know that newer SLPs, so this is just what I've heard. Mm-hmm. Newer SLPs are more for MBS. Older SLPs right. or SLPs who've been in the field longer feel like you don't need that you can thicken at bedside, but newer SLPs right. are like, do not thicken at bedside. Um, you know, and I think that's probably has to do more with the research that's come out and in school, like when you're in grad school, you usually have the most up to date research. Um, mm-hmm. 
So, which is crazy because in our grad program we were taught to thicken. Um. I'm trying to think. Like in our dysphagia We definitely course. learned about thickener and we were taught to thicken, but I don't remember. We did definitely talk about MBSs too. And do you remember, like we talked about this briefly, Our neither we one of did. us remembers, but our professor yeah, had shared us, yeah. like the um, the story the one time where like, you mm-hmm. know, she made a mistake while thickening and like, or maybe not while thickening, but during dysphagia tre- or treatment or recommendations and mm-hmm. how it backfired. I don't remember the details. I don't, I don't know, know if you remember, story. like, she got teary-eyed and she, like – but she was sharing it with the class. Like, it was, I think she tells it every semester hmm. to, like, make – to drive a remember. point home. And she said, like, she never doesn't cry when she tells it. But – so, like, I do remember – I'm pretty sure our professor is not for thickening at bedside. But – I'm not sure. I haven't seen any of her know. notes. But I will say I was trained to thicken at bedside and do an MBS when I felt mm-hmm. necessary. felt it was needed. The place I did my CFY at, like, they were amazing. They never, like, made me feel – incompetent for requesting an MBS mm. like they just literally like because I mean you write in your reasoning right and like my supervisor mm. was like so amazing about it like she I, I just feel like sometimes this is this is really a hot take like you know this topic and so people feel really passionate about it, really it one is. way or the other yeah. and they can get really defensive um I feel like this is kind of like something I was gonna not the thickening at bedside but like how in our field, I feel like it's similar to like mom culture. It's similar to mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. cultures where people are really passionate about one way or the other. And so yeah. then they start to kind of like, well, if you don't do it my way, like then then you're wrong, you know? Right, and right. like, that's not to say, like, I'm not like, I feel like I want to word this better. But like, I think it just, it's really easy to get defensive instead of like listening and hearing what the other person has to say, like, right. you know? And so I think it's just because everyone comes from a really good place. Everyone's like, and actually, I talked about this recently in I'm, – mm-hmm. so I'm part of the med um, – not med, SLP, um, the Pediatric Feeding Mentorship Group. And mm-hmm. she does like once – I think it's once a month. She does like a get-together via Zoom where we ask like clinical questions and help each other out. Yeah. And we were less people this time. So I asked about thickening at bedside and what they thought even though like mm-hmm. that's, you know, more – it relates to pediatrics. But like, you know, the hot take is more in the adult community, yeah. I think. Um, and mm. so she was sharing about that and she was sharing like how, oh, what did she call it? It's, I forgot what fallacy it is, but it's like where you've been doing it for so long. And if you have to admit that it was wrong, then that means somewhere like a bunch of your patients or you're trying, like, then it means that you didn't do right by your patients yeah, in the past. Right, right, right. And it's just such a hard yeah. pill to swallow. And so she was just saying like, she thinks that plays a role too. Cause like, I've been like, let's say I've been speech therapist for four years and I've been thinking yeah, at yeah, bedside yeah. and like not doing an MBS. Then like, does that mean I was doing an injustice by my patients? Like I was still doing my job. And so like, it was just mm-hmm. an interesting, mm-hmm. um, a, like way to view it. To think um, about it. Yeah, yeah right, but going right, back right. to your question, because I feel like I went off on a tangent. Um, tell us, tell us like the the reason thickening at bedside is inappropriate. <sighs> That's a good question. Yeah. So actually, thickening at bedside, you have a higher chance of silently aspirating. So patients will not present with signs and symptoms if they aspirate thickened, mm-hmm. and it's harder to cough out thickener. Okay. Um, so um, not only that, depending on what type of thickener you're using, cornstarch versus, versus gum-based, um, can cause worse pulmonary complications. But Hannah- Therefore- Oh, yeah. go ahead. 
finish tell your me. sentence and then no, I'll tell ask, me tell me tell me i was just playing like i was just doing what you said we're like ask questions but oh no 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 but, yeah no that was the end of my sentence are you actually. Sure? okay because i didn't want to miss yeah, out yeah, on yeah. new information um, oh, no, no, but no. hannah aspiration doesn't always yeah. cause pneumonia absolutely yeah aspiration is volume dependent 100 that's why um the yell swallow protocol they take you take multiple sips consecutive um and so aspiration can happen but if you're if you pretend, for example, if you are thickening at bedside and you see that patient for multiple days, that's five days for like if they say for five days on thickener, that they're aspirating silently on thickened liquids, thinking like, oh yeah, everything's okay. But you're not treating their dysphagia. You've created a band-aid and possibly will put your patients more at risk of worsening pulmonary complications. Does not always mean it's pneumonia, but I mean they can have plugging they could have a lot of other complications mm-hmm. um that's definitely but, something yeah. i've been asked and i'm not as educated on the topic as hannah is obviously um so there's okay, a lot my of next research question is yeah then how should like these are just i'm so afraid people no, are gonna I be like madame is so dumb you guys so these are questions no, i have questions i've questions. heard people use when i've like tried to have this conversation and, then, and like, this is yeah. a huge so, conversation yeah. it's huge yeah so this isn't like just madame being dumb like I'm no, no, I'm no. not like even trying to play devil's advocate. I'm just giving I you the questions no, no, I've but heard. I don't <laughs> even think it's playing dumb because I would say majority of SLPs are thickening at bedside. Yeah, like majority of my like I would well, say actually, it's very I think there's definitely a movement. Because remember it depends. Yeah, there is one a of movement. the hospitals 100%, 100%. that I interviewed with yeah. when my, I have a family member who did an internship with and that them is the, and yeah. they used mm-hmm. to thicken at bedside and now they're very like not against, no, like I was absolutely. saying, against, like they definitely pre- like preferred to hear that you were not for. Did you? Did but. you know that hospital actually came out with a statement saying that they will never thicken at bedside because all their ICU patients were coming back with reoccurrent pneumonia, what? and they were having to reintubate when patients? So it came out with a statement a couple years ago. Wait, can you send maj- that? To and then me? they said. I, I don't know how to find it. Mm-hmm. My old supervisor said that the hospital that you had got that position at, um, she said it's the most up to date in their research mm-hmm. hospital in like when she's been in, yeah. in years in California. Um, and so she was telling me they came out with this, the her the head SLP with a bunch of the, the um they the were team, the medical team like for evidence-based like they were mm-hmm. so like they were very like pro evidence based practice. They, they were, were very yeah. like educated, and honestly, that was such a hard job for me to like turn away team. because like yeah, I'm so new in my career. Where like I want the education, and I want like yeah. the best. I'm so sad. I'm so sad about it to this day. If I'm being I'm sad, honest. I can't take a PRN. I can't, <laughs> I'm so sad I can't take a PRN with them. She keeps like asking me like, "Are you gonna take a PRN?" And I'm like, "I would love to be PRN yeah. with you, but it's unfortunate I can't." Yeah. I was like, "One day." Well, one wait, day, didn't we talk about this and they changed it? And you could actually take a PR. No, well, yeah, I could potentially, but no, for like I to stay with my company. No, no, because like my cousin who got you can yeah float. You, you can stay. Yes, yeah, you can. You can float, right? Yeah, but I can't because I'm contracted. So it it oh, goes against. It's a conflict I see. of interest. I see. I see. I see. I see. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, okay. But what you're saying, you can't yeah, yeah, do that yeah, okay. because they're they're all right. Agreed, you're yeah. contracted. Okay. okay so my question? question is, when it, when is it appropriate to thicken, and how should thickener be used? Good question. Thank Good you. question. Great. Okay. So I have I recently I actually thickened at bedside. I think it's appropriate when, for example, you don't have access to an MBS. You can't get one in a timely manner. The patient is alert and oriented and is telling you they're hungry. Family's concerned about nutrition. I'm a big advocate for education first. So I will lay out my options to the patient, say, hey, patient and family, 
Um, we currently don't have an MBS. Our MBS chair was broken for multiple days, mm-hmm. which, which is ridiculous. Um, or it's a weekend. Mm-hmm. We do not have access to MBS, unfortunately. I've been advocating for it. I can only do so much. Um, and so I give them option. We can either, A, keep you nothing by mouth for your safety and give them their risk factors. This is why I would say you should be a nothing by mouth. Or you can risk it and say, you know, I think I'm okay. I know I have, I know my risk factors. I, you know, have poor oral hygiene. I'm not moving. I have currently pneumonia. I recently have been intubated. X, Y, and Z. I have COPD, right? Um, And say, hey, I know all my risk factors and I'm willing to risk it because I am starving and thirsty. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I will say, okay, you want to eat. Go ahead. I feel like I keep interrupting. Is there risk factors for staying and PO? For that, like for great, great question, yeah, depending absolutely. So I always like, and this is actually a part. This is another hot take going into it. Um, being NPO, you can also, in my opinion, I think it's reasonable to do NPO with ice chips, ice chip protocol, and I do also NPO with critical medications. Um, so I think a lot of the times, most of our patients in ICU are tired. They, to be honest, I've rarely had a patient say, oh, I want to eat. I'm hungry right now Mm. in the ICU. And so a lot of the times, like I'm not hungry, I'm not starving, I'm sick. Mm -hmm. And so I will say, okay, that's fine. We'll do NPO and crush your medications, critical medications only with max use of strategies. Um, And the majority of times that works. Unless a patient, if they're really, really hungry, I'll educate them. And then I'll say, okay, we can modify your diet and we'll try, we can try different liquid consistencies and textures. However, even though you do not cough does not mean that you are not actively choking. Mm -hmm. And that could make your pulmonary or your lung difficulties worse. Mm -hmm. And I want you to be aware of that. And they go, they either say, oh, really? And I was like, yeah, I cannot, I don't have a magic ball. I say, I don't know the future. Mm -hmm. You could be risking it Mm -hmm. and be 100% fine and walk out of here tomorrow. Mm -hmm. However, the other way can happen. There's always risk, right? There's always risk and benefits. Mm -hmm. And I think educating and knowing your risk and benefits and talking to the medical team about it is very important. That's what I'm saying. I'm not against thickener, but I think there's a time and a place for it. And you need to weigh out what what's important to your patient. If eating is important to your patient, then absolutely let them eat. But make sure you document that and make sure you cover your bases. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yeah, I educated them. Yeah. Um, there's been a moment, there's been a time where I had a patient who was NPO for multiple days because he just was not appropriate for a swallow study just because of weakness and he was on significant oxygen. And I had the family was in the doctor was really pushing me to put a diet in. And I told them, okay, let me educate them. We still can't do an MBS. And I educated the whole entire family and the patient. And they said, I want to eat, right? I walked out of the room and I told the pulmonologist, our intensivist, and I go, hey, the patient wants to eat. They're really pushing me for a diet. So I'm going to let you know I educated. They want to risk it. And the pulmonologist looked at me and says, absolutely not. We are not risking this. He's going to be intubated tomorrow if you put him on a diet. And I go, he was like, you need to advocate for that swallow study and get it done. And I was like, absolutely. So I walked back in the room and I said, this is what the pulmonologist said. What do you think? And they go, wow, we trust him so much. I agree. And so we did it. And they think they ended up putting an NG2 for a short-term feeding. He ended up like doing really well after like, I don't know, actually doing, he didn't do really well after that, but it gave me time in order to do an MBS and his MBS went fairly okay. Hmm. And actually his MBS actually did, he did okay. We found a diet-ish. And he had really, he had a really, I would say, moderate to severe swallowing disorder. And if, and the pulmonologist was right, if we did give him a modified texture, 
he actually was silently aspirating thickened and he had so much pharyngeal residue and you would have not I tried thickened liquid with him and pudding, Mm -hmm. beautiful. No respiratory distress, no oxygen desaturation, Mm -hmm. no cough, no wet vocal quality. Did the MBS, pharyngeal residue, could not clear it. You would have never known. Mm -hmm. That's why it's important. That's why they exist. Yeah. I think, so I think as some, like, we've talked about this. I don't know if we talked about it on the podcast. So when I was doing my- Yeah. um, CFY, I used to, Mm -hmm. you know, put in requests for MBSs. There was like- there's like I said, there's no pushback ever. Um, yeah. and like they used to get done. Um, but I th- always thought it was like from a point of being a new SLP, like that I wasn't confident in my ability to read <sighs> my said patients. This before. And honestly, like yeah, looking yeah, back, it yeah. makes we can't see what's going on in the inside. <laughs> You're good. We uh, can't see like what's going yes, on the inside, yes. right? Like we don't have X-ray vision. Um, and I think it's definitely like a useful tool and like I really love it. Actually. But then we'd have to cut this Wait, part out. Wait, can I comment? Yeah, comment. Yeah. Can I comment what you said? I A lot of people say that. And I think you've said this before. I said, oh, I don't know. Like, maybe I just can't. Like, new grads would be like, oh, maybe I can't just feel their swallow. Oh, maybe I don't know how timely their swallow is. Okay, but I do you feel like. You cannot see where their swallow is. No, you cannot. No, 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 no. no, 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 no. no. Like, you cannot. I my, like, yeah, I know. Go, I know go, you're right. Me. But, okay. No, I don't want to say it anymore. But I know you're right. Obviously, you cannot. You can feel like laryngeal elevation. You can't feel like their swallow. Yeah. But somewhat actually, Dr. Isa Humberg actually does a video about how she looks like she's swallowing, but she's actually not. Go go look at it. It's a send beautiful, it to us. It's a beautiful link. Thing. It. I should send it. Um, yeah, I'll link it. But go ahead, tell me. Sorry, I forgot what I was gonna say. I'm so sorry. No, it's good. But yeah, a lot of speech therapists will say, "Oh yeah, like maybe I'm just not good at or not mm-hmm. good enough." And I remember I was in this interview, and I had mentioned like, "Oh, MBS or something like that," and then. They go, yeah, we don't utilize it or something like that. And then the person next to them was like, oh, because you guys are really good at your job. And I was like, no, 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 no. A good speech therapist <laughs> um, does not, cannot see, is not an x-ray machine. You cannot see. You have no idea what you're treating unless you see it under for. Would a pulmonologist treat a pneumonia? Well, would, would a pulmonologist treat anything if they don't have an x-ray of the lungs? No. Would you treat um, a... Like how, with, how can a doctor give the correct medications um, if the patient comes with signs and symptoms of stroke? They're not going to randomly give you medications. They're going to check an MRI, do a CT scan to ensure you didn't have a stroke or you did. What That's is a really good way to put problem? it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so Kelsey actually had a beautiful way of saying it. Like you're not going to treat things that you can't see. Most doctors won't. Um, and they're going to make sure you get the appropriate imaging. Like, so if they can't do their jobs, we can't either. Mm-hmm. We cannot do our jobs and treat dysphagia. Um, how can you give appropriate strategies? How can you give, how can you give, actually, that's my miss. I'll mention that later. But how can you give appropriate, like, exercises? You have no idea what's happening. Mm-hmm. Like, one time, one time, oh, there's so many stories where I've seen patients at bedside and I've assumed something. And I had a patient with dementia one time tell me, I haven't been able to swallow pills in years. And I was like, okay, coughing. So intermittently, like occasionally, but she already had pneumonia. She had other pulmonary complications, but like, I would have never really, like even the speech therapist who evaluated her was like, ah, could be dysphagia. doesn't really seem like it. I did her swallow study. She had a, a large, large Zanker's diverticulum that was collecting residue and then spilling over into her airway. She could not tolerate any Gosh. like hard, like like really thick consistencies. Mm-hmm. And if you gave her a thickener at bedside, she would have not coughed at all. 
And wow. she didn't cough at any period. She didn't cough at any thickeners, mm-hmm. but she had so much residue in yeah. her throat and that put her at risk for pneumonia. And so I recommended a thin liquid diet. <laughs> like we need to figure out what's going on and fix the zingers. It was causing so much. And that's mm-hmm. why she couldn't swallow yeah. pills. That's yeah. why she couldn't swallow pills. But you would have never known. Mm-hmm. I was so mad. And I was like, we should have ordered MBS sooner rather mm-hmm. than later. Yeah. Moving on, guys. Um, That's kind of, I think I'm just going to do that hot take for right now. Mm-hmm. What is your hot take? Because it's because that was a long one. So I kind of snuck one of mine in there. I said like um, that we kind of have like some toxicity around our speech culture. That was kind of one of my mm. hot takes. I think we are, we love our jobs so much and we're so passionate about it. Sometimes we can't see past our own opinions. And so, I get that 100%. Um, that was my first one, but I kind of snuck it in there. Uh, my next one is that I think sometimes we keep kids too long who do not need to be on our caseload mm. so or like who are not appropriate mm-hmm. for our caseload right, um, right right so I kind of like struggle I struggle with mm, I feel like it's such a thin line like so when you're in the schools right like you have certain requirements that that need to be met in order for the kid to be admitted into speech but like for example someone was recently telling me they have a student or like yeah they have a student who is in sixth grade has a lisp but like has zero mm-hmm, motivation mm-hmm. to be there um mm. literally tells the speech therapist like i speak fine i'm not like i don't want to be here I d-. and so they haven't made progress in three years. <laughs> <gasps> three years three years like that kid needs and to go so i was like i was see, I, so i didn't think this was a hot take but like also i don't work in the schools, so i don't know what the requirements are but i was like okay right, so right. then if so like with feeding therapy pediatric yeah. feeding therapy when you take on a client for pediatric feeding therapy one of the things that you have to look at is like are the parents ready for you to do feeding Mm. therapy and is the kid ready if the parents are un like they're not ready they're uninterested then it doesn't matter how much therapy and education you do they're not going to make progress so then you would tell them like okay i can see that you know this is still stressful for you this is your if we're still not ready for this as a family Mm. but um you know, moving, moving forward, like, like, feel free to reach out anytime when you do feel ready, because like, you're, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, you're not going to make progress. And so that's kind of the right. mentality I had. And so I was telling her like, well, why don't you exit him? And she was like, I can't do that. He's not within normal limits. And I was like, mm. but he has no intrinsic motivation. And he's not like two right. or three, or he's yeah. not like, you know, five, he's 11. And so yeah, like, yeah. I don't know. It was just like one of those things where I was like, I feel like you should be able to exit him. But I don't know. That might be a hot take in and of itself. No, like I have this difficulty with adults too. Like when to appropriately. Mm -hmm. I cannot make goals because I'm an acute care SLP. I don't – when I make a goal, they discharge like in a few days. Like I'm not really meeting those goals. They just fall off my list. Like I don't know how to make goals. And then like what if the patient just never makes progress? Do you discharge the goal? So that's the thing. Like I feel like you need to – What do you do? So with one of the insurances that we take, you need to do like progress reports every six months. Yeah. And then like if your patient didn't reach their goals, you need to say why and you need to, you have to change the goal. You cannot keep it. So you have to either change like the queuing or the level or the difficult, right? Like you cannot be like, we're still working on this goal that they didn't meet. Like you have to change it. Even though like, let's say like we're working on S's, we could still work on S's, but I have to change 
either the, the, the level, hierarchy, the hierarchy, the, yeah, the something, yeah. Yeah, um, right, 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 right. because obviously what I'm doing is not working. And I do think yeah. that they're onto something with that. I think that's, I think that's a, like appropriate. Clearly something's not but working. You, what if you but do then, that like, so many times? You, what, yeah. Then, like, cause I also Yeah. When have, do you discharge it? I also have another client who I feel like he has reached. So I got him and he had already met, he's been in speech therapy for years years and years and years and years and i'm talking like over a decade like homeboy's been in speech therapy and Mm -hmm. i um got him and i looked over his chart and i was like oh okay these are pretty like these goals are like low functioning i felt like but Mm -hmm. whatever like Mm -hmm. i haven't met the Mm -hmm. client so i met him and he definitely he definitely can address like he definitely met the goals i went over i think three sessions i took data and yeah he met the goals so i adjusted the goals and i made them more difficult but then i'm like but at what point is it like at what like when, point, do you distra- when do you just distra- yeah. like he he i know like when they stop making progress when they've reached their limit but like he i don't want to give too much information but like he, sometimes it's like the skill is there but the in the wanting to do it isn't and so I don't feel like it's fair to keep him for such a long time and I I just keep like honestly making the goal the goals like we went from you know asking personalized questions Mm -hmm. uh, answering personalized questions to you know Mm -hmm. answering questions about pictures and things like that so that way it's you know it's harder it's not about yourself um but then I'm like thinking like okay but cognitively I don't know how functional that is. For how him. far? Yeah. yeah. So I mean, obviously, the- is it bad to discharge a goal? Like I had, I had no, those questions. Like you can drop a goal. I just always feel bad. Like I always feel like icky, you're giving up. Like, but they never. Yeah. Like I've had patients who just had, like, for example, I work in adult day center, and they've had developmental dis- like have developmental delay, and they're like. 60. And for some reason, the speech therapist before me was working on our tick and phonology oh, with somebody. Yeah. I don't was like, what? I was like, girl, he's had this since he was like, he's mm-hmm. had a lot of speech therapy as a kid. We're, we're not going to change him as like a 70 year old male, you know, I mean, we're not going to change him. And so she was working on the phonology and I was like, well, that I was fine with discharging, but I was just like, at a point I tried to give them like AAC. I've tried to give them like different types of devices or different communication, um, tools mm-hmm. and it just like was not helping like it was he was fine he was functioning fine mm-hmm. and i was like i just gonna discharge i guess you know yeah. what i mean mm-hmm. like i was like i guess right yeah like i would discharge that's what you do. At that point. yeah so <laughs> right. i think like but i think uh, i don't think this is something that's just hard for us like i think it's hard for a lot of people and i think a lot of times we like this kid should have been discharged honestly the last right. slp yeah, should yeah, have yeah. discharged him and i think like a part of me is just like how like nobody's talked to his caregiver about this or like his mm. guardian about this for years and so like for me yeah, to come yeah, in yeah. and be like i just got you guys but i think you need to be discharged like i feel like it's gonna yeah. tear her apart um so yeah. i'm just like like i said we adjusted the goals and i want to see how he does with that but i'm just like thinking like a lot of times i think we keep kids like and i don't i think this we is feel bad not because we feel bad but i think like i'm trying to make sure i don't word this incorrectly because like I don't know. Like, I don't want to say the wrong thing and it come out the wrong way. It's a hot take. It is a hot take. But so, like, I just – I think a lot of times we keep kids, Mm -hmm. like, where they're not going to go farther developmentally. They Mm -hmm. cannot – like, cognitively, they cannot work at a higher level task. And we're just trying to Mm -hmm. reach that, like, 
normality of like and i'm putting it in air quotes right like, like what's normal what's normal yeah. um, within normal yeah limits, right, like, right, typical right. developing children and i just think like but then again maybe i'm wrong like that's that's why i'm so hard, having a hard time with this heart take because like, maybe this is just mean, like, like a baby slp yeah. thing like you're still so new like you don't know what you're talking about so let us know guys <laughs> let us know but like i feel like i think i see what you mean because like at some point like there's only so much you can do, especially if they've been in therapy for ten like, years. Like okay, let's I don't say like think... AAC, and we want the person to verbalize. Yeah. Okay, and so we're working on like verbalizations, approximations, but like they cannot verbalize. You know what I mean? Like then I feel like I mean, that person but why are we looking be... at? Why are we? Um, are they? Can they just use their AAC? Like are we? They why can are we trying to work on verbalizations. Well, the person I'm thinking of, like he verbalizes, not verbalizes, but he does. I think it's a form of echolalia. He like will say certain words, mm. but not like I just, maybe five words. That's probably like, not an appropriate goal. I probably just <clears throat> focus on an alternative. Well, I'm thinking of like for like he adult, uses for, his, for example. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he uses his a. So he's not a, he's AAC really device. small. He uses his AAC device beautifully. Like even like when they forget their AAC device, I, I bring out ours. Like he can, he knows that thing like inside, outside, upside down. And so like he can navigate it really well. I just don't feel like, I don't feel like, kind of like you said, like, I don't know if it's appropriate to keep him for verbalization when, like, he can literally use his. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, there's, like, Like, how do I know? There's different modes of communication is, Mm -hmm. yeah. Communication is not only verbal. And if the child cannot verbalize, like, I think that's, if we can find a different, for, like, adults. I don't expect my stroke patients – This I know this is very different. I understand that. But like I know, my stroke patients, I don't expect them to only verbalize if they've had aphasia. I say my, most of my goals for someone with aphasia is to use – if it's a severe aphasia, to use any modality of communication, gesturing, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. um, writing, drawing, whatever it is, pointing, you know, things like that. Yeah. So I mean – I, I think, think the reason – so I like I have a – you know what's funny is I actually have a few clients with AAC devices, and so I'm taking CEUs for this because um, somehow mm. we actually have someone in the clinic who loves AAC, and, like, it's her, like, she knows it, you know? But for some yeah, reason, yeah. they ended up on my caseload, um, which I don't mind. <laughs> like, I'm excited to learn. But Great um, learning experience. It's a great learning experience. But I've had a few people who have AAC devices, and, like, they're – able to communicate very well like very well with it but then we're still on are there goals for verbalization so the goal is for like there's a few different goals one's for verbalization one is for like using having a five step sentence conversation which i know is also a hot take with acc uh or not like a hot take that's a hot take really well i think so from my what i've understood and i need to do more research on this i don't have a lot of experience with autism personally Uh um well, I do, but like not, not at this age or this yeah. severity. But um, it's like, I think what I understood was that as people who have conversations every day, we don't put a like five step conversation, a, a five no- oh, turn conversation. You, you know what I mean? Like a number like if a person on it. Yeah, yeah, doesn't yeah. want to have a five a converse- turn conversation. They don't have yeah. to. They don't have um, to. Like same right, thing, right, right? Like with initiating conversation. Like I know. Right now, like part of being neurodiversity affirming isn't necessarily teaching to initiate a conversation. Well, I mean, I don't know. This is what I've 
heard that I've you know been picking up is that it's makes not a lot of sense. them to initiate yeah. conversation but to maintain a conversation in case they they want mm. to do that but that's a really good way of thinking i love that like if actually. i don't want to talk really to someone i don't have to talk to them like you know which is very reasonable i have i've had a lot of clients with autism mm-hmm. that i've understood yeah i've seen goals like that and i'm like i don't really like that like mm-hmm. you shouldn't have to like you should be able to maintain a conversation mm-hmm. but not or if you want to yeah. start a conversation like we a, can work yeah. on that but yeah, have to, but yeah. I think also like um, that. Yeah, that's just my hot take. It's just like I think we keep kids who are maybe not appropriate, or we keep them mm-hmm. for too long with too high expectations. The hopes like, of them to hit the also with like, the normal of it. This is kind of another yeah. one, but like sometimes our therapy isn't the reason that they're making progress. Like sometimes it's just mm. you know organic just making progress. Making yeah, progress. Yeah, yeah. Like they would have made it without us. Um, it's a hot take for another time, I think, but. Kind of also matches that one. But, yep, those hmm. are my hot takes, Hannah. Those are great. Those are wonderful hot takes. Um, I have more, but, you know, we'll save those for – I mean, I kind of said all of them in one spiel. I did too. <laughs> um, yeah, so they're kind of all mixed into one. I've missed one, but, you know, that can also go for another time. Let's move on to our last segment of this episode. Our hit and miss. Rom, what's your hit or miss today? I have a what hit. What do you got? Um, You're in a roll. <laughs> I always, I'm a positive person. Um, nothing bad ever happens. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> but like, <laughs> like that just like was begging the universe to like give me something tragic. Um, okay. So my SLP hit. So I have a cousin mm-hmm. who started our program um, in undergrad. And today she like went to one of our professor's um, bonus classes, you know, like the 199th. And she, the professor asked her, like, do you have any cousins or family that went here? And she said, yeah, my cousin, Maram, right? Uh uh And that professor, okay, and I, like, you guys, I should start off by saying I love this department. And, like, I genuinely love our professors so much. I hold Mm -hmm. them with such high regard. I would love to be on, like, their team one day. Like, I have always, like, since day one of undergrad, I've admired our professors so much. Like, I couldn't pick a favorite because, like, I love all of them. And so, like, and I've always said this, this isn't anything new. Um, And, like, one day I'd love to just, like, if possible, be, like, a supervisor or be even, like, Mm -hmm. a part-time professor. Like, I would love to, like, they're just so inspiring that I, like, I want to be with them, you know? Like, I enjoyed our program so much because Mm -hmm, of them. mm -hmm. Anyways, so, like, it made me really happy when this professor said, like, oh, um madam is famous in our program and then i was like wait stop like they remember me but like Aww. i thought like honestly i i didn't think they would remember me and then she was like um and then she said like the patients that they've seen also remember me and that like Aww. um i was just like this is so like it just made me feel happy and it made me like yeah. I guess, like, I don't know, like, it's nice to hear that. And so that just made my day, yeah. honestly, because, like, I mean, I don't keep in touch. I don't keep in touch with any of our professors. Um, Just, like, never have a reason to reach out to them. Um, I did reach out to this professor once when we first graduated, and I was like, hey, do you have any classes, like, any courses you recommend for dysphagia? Because she was our dysphagia professor. And she sent mm. them to me, and then I realized I never responded to her. And But I mm. realized it, like, years later, so it would have been weird to respond. Oh, no, it would be too late. <laughs> it's like, um, sorry this is a couple years late, <laughs> hey. but thank you for sending those over. Yeah, um, and so 
I just like it made me so happy because like I love them oh, and so like you are famous I'm not famous you really are <laughs> you really are but- <laughs> like everybody knew you in school like you're the talk of the town literally I was the talk of the town literally not always um, you were you were good things but and I thought it was always positive in my opinion well, I don't know in my friend group it was like but it was like kind of like a joke like what is wrong doing now but like in a funny way because you were always doing something not like to say like oh, what is she doing now but it was mm-hmm. like what is that girl doing now like because you're what always is she up to? You were always yeah. doing something new and like innovative, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, what is she up to?" Yeah, <laughs> you did a Syrian Syrian refugee tutoring, like who yeah. the heck was doing that? Like I nobody, mean, people who had refugees coming that needed help. I don't know. Yeah, honestly, I love I love doing a million different things, and I love like. I love our field so much and I just love how much we can contribute and I love can you learning. Tell we're passionate I, or what? Yeah, like I just I love everything about this field. And so like mm-hmm. just to hear someone who I think of in high regard like speak of you me admire, in like right, a right. good tone, like it makes me feel happy because like okay, absolutely. Like, yeah, I feel like yeah. hey, that I'm doing something that I did something right. I don't know. But I also like am a person who really like like my love language like I really like words of affirmation. Pro- words of affirmation are definitely one of my love languages. Good to know. Yeah. Good to know. But anyways, what about you? I know that you have a miss because you told us earlier. Spoiler. Yes, I do. I've been literally. You- so my third miss, I think. I don't know what's going on with my life. Okay, so my question is to you. Okay, this has to tie in with my hot take. Mm. Um, but do you or have you in the past recommended a chin tuck? Like a chin tuck to patient with dysphagia. I have not, but I've seen it recommended. And I like um, generally, I feel like with stroke patients, they recommend it. Hmm, interesting. Right? I actually see it quite a bit. I see it a lot with nurses. We'll recommend it. Yeah, Doctors with have nurses. Come up to me. I've oh, seen yeah. it a lot. Um, like, I've oh, seen it with tuck your chin down. down. Um, no, yeah, of course. Even it's, recently. It's like, part yeah. of like swallowing precautions like chin tuck. Okay. I'm here to tell you that to stop recommending that. Just do not do it anymore. It's not appropriate. It's you should only be doing a chin tuck if you've seen it under fluoro. I would it say can worsen. that yes, majority of my patients that complete a chin tuck um, either have worse pharyngeal residue, they aspirate, or they either there's a high percentage for some reason of silent aspiration with a chin tuck. And I remember reading this somewhere would, like months I, ago. I probably. I feel like I told you no, about it too. before you. It's in, um, Maybe it was my oh, really? super CF supervisor. Oh, could be. But know. there's a um, – in Dr. Logan's book, she actually talks about this and to not utilize maneuvers because you do not know what their anatomy and physiology looks like. What if they have a CP bar? Like a chin tuck's not going to help them. What if they have a cre- – what if they have a like – What's a CP bar? A CP bar. A cr- – a cricopharyngeal bar. Oh, my supervisor told me that it was like super rare. I'm actually seeing cricopharyngeal bars like in every patient. I'm like, they're not rare. They might have an osteophyte. Like, there's so many things that can be happening in their throat that you have no idea. But like, a chin tuck is not a universal maneuver that works with every patient. Mm-hmm. And I've had like, I've been in rooms and the doctor is like, hey, like, yeah, do you see how her chin's like that? Keep doing that. And I go, no, 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 no. Like, mm-hmm. let's do a small study to ensure you're mm-hmm. safe for a chin tuck. Yeah. I actually have that consistently. If I notice aspiration, if I notice anything like oropharyngeal dysphagia in the swallow study, I immediately, automatically will do a chin tuck as a compensatory strategy to see if the patient's appropriate for it. Okay. Um, because I see And when do you find and like so- chin tucks are. What is like when? Do, when are they? Depends. Like, what, what would you it's- see that you would be like, oh, a chin tuck would help this? No aspiration, penetration, or pharyngeal residue. 
So if they if they have none of those things, I'm like, oh, a chin tuck worked for you. Great. Let's no, utilize that during worked, your. Thing. But what did you see before the chin tuck? That was like okay. Oh, oh, you know like, what I mean? okay. To tell yeah. me to prompt mm-hmm. me. Got you, got you. Um, so when I'm doing my MBS, I have like a trials. Like mm-hmm. I do, I have a different trials thin, whatever, whatever. And if mm-hmm. I notice any aspiration, if I notice any penetration, you know, fringe mm-hmm. residue. I automatically do a chin tuck and an effortful swallow. Okay. If I notice if their swallow is perfect, I typically mm-hmm. won't do a chin tuck and an effortful swallow. Yeah. But if I notice any oral pharyngeal dysphagia, I automatically would try two strategies. Okay. Yeah. I was looking up – hold on. I need to do a quick search of this document because we definitely talked about them in school. I wish I could go back to school cool. and just learn more. Me too. Like I feel like that's a big discrepancy in our like education. I feel like – we should have a CF year and then go back and relearn get everything. Get a PhD, because get our doctor. Be, yeah, like I feel like it'd be so like yeah, AKA a PhD, right? But like mm. for some reason, I don't. Our PhD programs are like all research, and you have to like do some type of like you know like study. Mm. And I don't really want to do study. I just want to learn more. Mm-hmm. That's true. I, <laughs> you know that's what, I mean? what CUs are for, right? That's why we're lifelong learners. Yeah, that's what. That's what um, basically. Okay. Let me see where it is. What are you looking up? Um, I wanted to look up in what context we were taught to do the chin tuck. Oh, here it is. Can I read it? Yeah. I was just curious, like, what context we were taught it. Um, So I just went to a random document on our drive, like, on our, you know, on the drive from grad school and looked up chin tuck to see. Oh, okay. okay. okay so the chin say? tuck effectively eliminated pre-swallow aspiration of thin liquids, the chin tuck posture affects the pharyngeal swallow by improving airway protection through narrowing of the airway entrance, positioning the tongue base and epiglottis towards the posterior pharyngeal wall, widening the molecular molecular space and decreasing distance between the larynx and hyoid and mandible and reducing the potential of potential depth of penetration and aspiration. So it's used to eliminate trees. Yeah, very general. But like I was just curious like what we were because I and I think Tactus has a really good tool where it has like different maneuvers and strategies to say what it's supposed to do. But I would say majority of the time I do a chin tuck, it does not, it's not beneficial. I think I think it's I recommended it one time in the past two years. <laughs> one yeah, two I, times, I remember like that. I don't even know. Like I said, I think it might have been my supervisor who brought it up, but I'm not 100% sure, honestly. But I do remember there like, or maybe it was an Instagram post of someone who was like, actually, like they've done research on chin tucks and, you know, because I remember someone yeah, saying like, great. don't just go around telling people to do a chin tuck. Take a chin tuck. Um, I had yeah. a speech therapist, like do, I'm, I had her do a swallow study on a patient. I was like, you should probably do one. She did it. And she was like, oh my gosh, I tried a chin tuck and it didn't work. And I was like, yeah, I told you. Like I tell, I'm telling you, they don't like, it really depends on the patient. It depends mm-hmm. on their anatomy and physiology. Like if you don't know, how are you going to recommend it? So, yeah. Okay, that Hannah. ties in my thing. Yes. Okay. Tell me. So, I think, okay. So, I wanted to put this in my update and then I didn't. So, I'm just going to, it's so brief, but look. Okay. So, I got this little cup that's just, oh, for, okay. uh-huh. just for stickers. And the first sticker I put on it is us. Oh, how cute. <laughs> I love how you're like, wait, wait, what kind of cup is it? It looks like a Stanley, but it's not a Stanley. Um, this is an Owala from Target. 
and it has like a little stopper thing so it doesn't spill. I and think then it's also- so interesting that like people like to like bite on other things. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I'm not mad about it. But well, then it also has this. Mm-hmm. This is what I bought it for because I drink most of my coffee That's cool. hot. But I've heard. But do you know what I mean though? Like different companies will bite on oh, like. Oh, I, you know that I thought you meant like, um, like people who don't want the Stanley went and got this. Um, no, yeah, no, no, definitely. No, no. I mean like I've different seen- companies will like do the same exact yeah. design. There's even and one. I think it's hilarious. There's even one that's almost exactly like the Stanley except that mm-hmm. there's like a little like over here there's a little like thing like you would press this and it would twist and it won't spill even with a straw still in it like it seals it mm. off completely and it's so slick looking and so like it's so funny but it's like they take one design yeah. they take one it, design like, and them. they like try to make it better yeah, yeah. Just, hey it works i mean like, why not i think like, they do that with a lot of things hilarious. i actually for yeah. a long time like wouldn't was so afraid to make speech therapy materials because I would be like, okay, but blah, 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 made this Somebody material already. Yeah, like yeah, they yeah. already have a sentence right. material. And my husband's like, what are you talking about? Like with that mentality, we would only have one different. of everything. Like, you know, because so- <laughs> I was like, I don't want to like steal ideas. So and true. he was like, but like, that's just a thing. Like sentence strips, be like, like one everyone type are using of chair. it. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was just like a really one good type way to of water things. bottle. Because I that mean, is, that's smart. Aisa has, yeah. he's smart. He's a smart guy. He is. It's an engineering mind. Computer <laughs> engineering, right? Yeah, he's a um, civil engineer. But yes, that mind, mind of his is very, very smart. In fact, I think he's one of the smartest people I know. Okie dokie. Mm. So are you ready to wrap it up? Yeah, okay. go ahead. So that wraps up our eight. Oh, just kidding. That bar. That wraps up our 19th episode. We encourage you guys to get involved in our communication corner group, Facebook group, and let us know what your SLP hot takes are. And also give us ideas for any content that you guys want us to cover. You can reach us at our socials, which are at communication corner pod on TikTok and Instagram, or via our email, communicationcornerpod at gmail.com. Thank you guys for tuning in. Bye. Bye. And that is our session. Beautiful.